Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Earlier this month, the Chicago Public Schools Office of Inspector General released its annual report detailing financial woes and sexual abuse investigations that made headlines. Alleged sexual abuse of three boys from the same family at the hands of a Chicago public school teacher on the northwest side is prompting a lawsuit. Somebody has to stop this. And the Chicago public schools has to become much more vigilant. The officer of Inspector General says Chicago public school system has lost tens of thousands of computers in recent years. The AG report says 77,500 electronic devices assigned to students and staff were reported lost or stolen. The value well over $23 million. A report from the Inspector General of the Chicago public schools details the alleged embezzlement of more than a quarter of a million dollars by a former administrator. It's alleged that over a period of several years, she stole more than $273,000 in fees paid by parents for an after-school program from a PayPal account she created. I'm Jim Hankey, and this week I sit down one-on-one with Will Fletcher, IG for CPS, to discuss the report, what positives can be gleaned from it, and where CPS goes from here. Let's get looped in, Chicago. Will, I'd like to just start by getting a little bit of your background. I'm sure it runs the gamut. Uh, not every day is the same, but for, for an inspector general at the fourth largest school district in the country, what does an average day look like for you? Now, obviously, there are different times of the year where you're putting out a report and you're a pretty busy guy. But in general, you know, what do you tell people about your role? So this is my second job as an inspector general. I was the inspector general for Chicago Park District for five years. And and this job is much different because the scale of it is so much bigger. The budget of CPS is upwards of $10 billion. There are 30 some odd thousand employees in the district. But what I tell people is I do the traditional oversight work that you would imagine an inspector general doing, policing fraud, waste and abuse, trying to stamp out uh, misconduct at the employee level. But also our office has and it's a one-of-a-kind in terms of Inspector General's office, a K-12 through sexual allegations unit that investigates adult-on-student sexual misconduct. And that can include anything from serious sexual abuse cases to cases where students are uncomfortable by the way uh, staff talks to them or, mm-hmm. or we investigate cases where staff members are texting with students late at night. That's not supposed to be happening because, right. of course, you have grooming concerns. So. Our office is everything that you'd expect in an IG's office in terms of stamping out fraud, waste, and abuse, but we also have this unit that investigates staff on student sexual abuse claims. Sure. 
You've done some work with COPA, correct? The Civilian Office of uh, Police Accountability? Back when it was called the Office of Professional Standards. That's right. Understood. So you've had a long career of sort of examining, you know, misconduct in a very general, broad sense kind of applies to several of these things, whether it's money or sexual or what have you. Where do you think that part of your journey comes from, examining these large agencies and making sure they're doing the best that they can on behalf of the communities that they serve? I always knew that I wanted to be in public service from the time I was in law school. And I think that the investigative realm where we're doing sort of good government oversight investigations appeals to me because you can make something right for a longer period of time. If I were a prosecutor, I would prosecute one criminal at a time and I knew that I have you know 10 more cases. Whereas with the type of work that we do at the Park District IG or uh, Chicago Public Schools Office of Inspector General, or even at the police department, what you can do is identify systemic flaws that can be remedied. You can work with management to try to tie off loopholes and make sure that the organization runs better. And that's a bonus result from the work that you do. Absolutely. You were appointed IG of CPS in June of 2020. Is that right? That's right. So only a few months into the pandemic there, what can you tell me about that time? I mean, certainly unprecedented for everyone, but for someone in your shoes, does remote learning and maybe other aspects of admin that had to be offsite, does that make your job more difficult? It made it more difficult for me personally because I had to get to know my staff remotely. You yeah, know, we sure. had to meet each other over Zoom. I'd been at that office before as the deputy inspector general, but coming back, it had doubled in size at least. And I had to try to get my arms around what the priorities were. And at the same time, the school district, as you just mentioned, was going through a lot of change. They had to gear up for remote learning in the fall of that year. And that meant that there were new purchasing rules and new ways of doing business of running a school district that it had never tried before. So we as an office of inspector general can't be insensitive to that either, right? That's new territory for the school district, just like it's new territory from an oversight perspective. So trying to decide what we were going to be investigating, how much rope we would extend to the school district to try to figure out how these things were going to go, because it was a case of first impression for a lot of these matters. Uh, So we had to look at what other school districts were doing. We had to tried as best as we could to figure out what the best practices were under these circumstances because inspectors general don't make the rules. What we try to do is enforce the rules and monitor the rules that are already in existence. And when you're dealing with a pandemic, that's tough to do because everything's in flux. I know this varies uh, instance to instance, but what is the chain of events or communication between your office, law enforcement, and others when there's something either as large as a you know six-digit embezzlement, for example, or is it on the role of the IG to suggest termination, arrest, those sorts of things? Is that a, a school board call? I think our audience would be curious to know the domino effect of how these things are remedied. Every case is different, of course, but when we are investigating a case and it appears that there might be a major crime that we're looking at, What we try to do is put all of our ducks in a row and present those cases to the prosecutor. And it's a more of an art than a science about when to go to the FBI or when to go to the attorney general's office or the U.S. attorney's office. Because if you go too soon and you don't have enough evidence, they they don't want to hear about it. And if you go too late and you've maybe scrambled the egg, then uh, prosecution isn't feasible. So trying to figure out when we go to the prosecutor and tell them what we have is the source of a lot of discussion in the office. But that is essentially our call, and we don't 
clear that with the board before we go to the prosecutor, to the FBI. And that has to do with the, the fraud cases. Where we're talking about cases on the sexual allegations unit side, we go to the police right away if we think that there's a crime. Oh. Um, and oftentimes the police know about something first and they tell us about it so that we can investigate it from an administrative perspective. But student safety is paramount. And so if we have any inkling that there's been a crime committed against a student, we go to the police right away. Well, your name is in the press a lot lately simply because of this report coming out, correct? So when I came downstairs to get you today for the interview, you know, you had mentioned that, you know, 51 weeks of the year, your phone doesn't ring sometimes. And now it's a very busy time because you're asked to explain this report in detail and what this means to parents, what this means to taxpayers and CPS itself. Right. Before we get into some of the stuff from that report, it's important to me and I think to our audience to cover some of the wins in your eyes for CPS during your tenure, but maybe on this report specifically. What can you tell people about the positive things that you notice on these annual reports? There are several. Just generally, I think the sexual allegations unit is a win, even though the subject matter, of course, is very serious and often very lamentable and very sad for a lot of CPS families. But the fact of the matter is, is that Chicago Public Schools is the only K through 12 school district that has an oversight body like mine that investigates the wide variety of sexual misconduct by staff on students. And that gives students a voice. And that gives parents confidence that their claims will be investigated. In a lot of school districts, if there's sexual abuse or sexual harassment or sexual discrimination of a student, you have to report that externally to the attorney general's office, to the prosecutor's office. And some of it isn't even criminal, right? We take that very seriously and we investigate all of those claims. And to make certain that we are a school district where those complaints are taken seriously and that the district takes our findings and recommendations seriously, because they do, and they will terminate or retrain or suspend employees, will reassign them as the circumstances warrant. That's, I think, a contract with the with the public that CPS takes that seriously. So even though the individual cases, of course, are very serious and, like I said, very sad in a lot of cases, I think it's a good resource and the district's continued investment in that resource, I think, is a win. Another win is throughout all of these case summaries, we talk about something bad that happened, an investigation that resulted in revealing that someone stole a lot of money or that they you know, cheated the system in some way. Our office does work at a caliber, I think, that we have gained a lot of trust with the district. And more often than not, they follow up on our recommendations, not just for the person involved, but also for the wider issue. Like I talked about closing those loopholes and making sure that we don't see the same type of case come up again and again and again. We mm -hmm. try to make certain that the impact of the investigation isn't just that one case, but also prospectively that uh, the district runs a little bit better. Um, I think that that's a win as well. And it's always a win when our office is able to engage the public, let them know that we're here, let them know that we are trying to be a watchdog to make certain that the district minds its purse and also the way that it engages with students. I think that that is a boost in the integrity for the district too. And I think if I have this right, in 2022, there were close to 450 cases of alleged inappropriate sexual behavior from staff. And like you mentioned earlier, this could be anything from actual physical contact to the student feels uncomfortable and reports that, right? Does that number, even though it's in the 400s, say that these incidences are on the rise or they're simply being reported more often? We believe that it's simply being reported more often. 
CPS does a very good job in terms of training its employees to report incidents of sexual misconduct, grooming behavior. We think that that training has resulted in in more cases. And so in 2018, when the unit was founded, someone might have thought, well, this was a unit that may be busy for the first couple of years of its existence or something like that, but uh, the cases will trail off. Well, that hasn't happened. And I think that does speak to the conduct that we investigate, but it also speaks to the training and making certain that staff are alert to what they should be reporting. And sometimes there are instances where on the surface, there doesn't seem to be any alleged sexual conduct, but after further investigation, that becomes clear. So not everything is immediately reported as such. I guess that's a clarification I'm trying to make. That's 100% true. And it's important that we do investigate those cases where there's something on the surface that is not sexual on its face, right? A staff member gives a student a ride home, has no authorization. There's evidence of staff members following students on social media. We probe that, we look into that, and we have found cases where on the surface, there didn't seem to be anything sexual in nature, but we look at it and there is more severe misconduct revealed because of our investigations. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Let's dig into the missing tech story that we've been reporting on. Where does the blame stand for this and 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 what does it say about a greater widespread issue among schools that cannot or won't properly track their equipment what our review found was that the people who are entrusted to report reliable data about the tech devices in schools tech devices that are assigned to staff tech devices that are assigned to students weren't doing a good enough job in terms of looking for the devices that they were you know, reporting on these audits. These are annual audits that needed to be completed. And the review just showed that they weren't taken very seriously. And so we had three dozen schools, I think, where 100% of devices assigned to students were reported missing or stolen. When in fact, that doesn't sort of track with what's actually happening. We don't think that students are stealing or making off with 100% of the devices in those schools. We think that when it's time for somebody to do the audit and submit it to the central office, they're just reporting devices as missing and stolen, missing and stolen, missing and stolen, and they have no idea what happened to the devices. That, to your other point, to the other part of your question, leads to an inventory system that is very unreliable. And if purchasing decisions are being made based on that inventory audit, 
then that's misguided. In 2021, I think CPS spent $124 million on tech devices. If that was informed by these audits, then that's a waste of money. So we need to make certain that uh, you know, going forward, the, the whole system is overhauled so that we have a better idea of what devices are really on hand. I had read a quote from CPS CEO Pedro Martinez that took maybe a little umbrage with the estimation of $23 million, saying, you know, many of these missing devices were, quote, well beyond their useful life, unquote, and he estimated the value lost at around one-tenth of that amount. Do you have a response to that at all? Or, or when we talk about $124 million in tech, I would assume maybe not all of that is or was meant to be portable, taken home. Maybe it's for something in the classroom, et cetera. So as far as the $23 million goes, and we made this very clear in our report, that was the purchase price of about 65% of the 77,000 devices that were reported missing or stolen in the 2021 year. We didn't say that the current valuation was $23 million. And of course, we realized that tech devices, Chromebooks, laptops, iPads are rapidly depreciating assets, right? Because as soon as you get home from Best Buy, there's already a new model, right? So we didn't mean to imply that $23 million was the present estimation. And we said that very clearly in the report. Yeah. But the problem there is, is that CPS can't really tell you what the value of the devices was either because the the quality of the data in these audits was so flawed that all you can do is estimate what the value of it of, of all of the devices were. 35% of the devices of, the, of that 77,000 number we didn't even have a purchase price for, so that's not even in that's so that's not even a complete number. And we went around and around with with CPS and trying to pin down the valuation of the missing devices. At one point, CPS had a higher number for a smaller number of, of devices. So it was, I think, a result of such poor data being uh, kept in the system. So what are some steps that you can tell people that are are going to try to be in place to remedy? this issue as quickly and as efficiently as possible? What are the recommendations moving forward? So one of them has already you know, borne fruit, and that is we simply requested that the district impose an amnesty period to try to get a lot of these devices back. Right. And through that process, CPS sent messages out through the devices so you'd see a prompt on your screen to return the Chromebook or the laptop to CPS. And the district has reported to us that that netted about 11,000 devices in a short amount of time. So it shows that, you know, you can set expectations of staff and students, and if you're asking for the device back, you know, you'll, you'll get some devices back. You'll get a return. So that was one of the recommendations, that there should be an amnesty period to try to get the devices back. Another thing was to just sort of completely overhaul the system. There was evidence that about $2.5 million was spent on device tracking technology that was actually very seldomly used. And once we sort of you know, shared our findings with the district, they had no shortage of ideas about how they could make uh, their inventory system better. I think it just maybe you know, spurred the discussion in terms of how to get a better system in place for tracking inventory. And I think that that's very important coming ahead of the elected school board, which is going to start getting phased in in 2025, because you will eventually have 21 elected school board members who are all going to be advocating for their districts to get as many resources as possible. And so what hopefully becomes of this performance review is that you'll see 
better tracking of inventory and better tracking of all kinds of resources, including human resources, to make sure that there is an equitable distribution of, of those devices and, of course, of staff time, too. Right. Let's, let's definitely hope so. There's also an alleged embezzlement case that I'd like your comment on. From everything I've read, parents were duped into paying for an after-school program via a method like PayPal. And it's a case where, because administration allegedly didn't really understand how electronic payments work, or worked in this case, you know, this malfeasance was able to occur sort of in broad daylight. And and I'd like your comment on where that case stands currently, but, you know, how much training has to be done for administrators at these schools to understand the various ways in 2024 that a school or a district or CPS itself can and should be accepting payments? What our investigation showed was that you had a school in a relatively affluent part of the city that was charging parents to run an after-school program. And the reason that the fraud and the theft and the embezzlement was able to uh, thrive and prosper and go on for a few years into the tune of a few hundred thousand dollars was because, like you just mentioned, you had a lot of school administrators who didn't really know how PayPal worked, didn't know or were not conversant enough with CPS's internal uh, payment processing uh, databases and systems. And you had one person who was very adept at that, except that that person was stealing the money. And it's not that CPS administrators at the school level aren't trained on cash management and how to report uh, revenue and, and payments that come in. I think it was just a matter of these school administrators who were very comfortable just delegating all of that work to one person. And it's no surprise that Systems where there are not, you know, checks and balances and segregation of duties allow for fraud to thrive. And so that that's not that's nothing new. It's just that that was allowed to happen here because you had school administrators who were very comfortable, too comfortable, allowing one person to control uh, all of it. And the larger question that we had stemming from that investigation is how is it possible for one school to go? without a few hundred thousand dollars, $200,000, and the program was still able to run, right? It's one thing that someone steals over $200,000 and no one else at the school catches it. No one else notices that the that the money is gone. But then how is it that the program was still able to run? You know, you're, you're collecting, this, this person was essentially stealing from parents, right? And it says something about what the school was charging these parents to run the after-school program that more than $200,000 could get stolen and the program was still able to run. I mean, it, it it signals that there's not enough control over the operating margins that these programs put in place that they were able to just collect more money than they ever really needed. And in addition to the money that was stolen, we found that there were uh, something like seventy-five dollars to $100,000 that was sitting in, a, in an account that was just sort of lying dormant, not stolen, but just sort of lying dormant. So we need to really examine the processes in place that allow schools to choose what to charge parents for for after-school programs and extracurricular programs. One thing I wanted to ask you before you go, someone may hear quick headlines on our own station about, about these matters, and it seems rather shocking that there's, you know, missing tech or alleged embezzlement or potential inappropriate sexual conduct. But for CPS parents listening to this, what is their role? How can they also be the eyes and ears on behalf of their own kids to someone listening to this who has a CPS kid, what do we tell them? I'm a CPS parent, and 
what we should tell our parents is that they should remain engaged in the at the school level, right? There are they should attend their LSC meetings. They should listen to their students, right? They should listen to their kids uh, talk about the experience that they're having at school. Uh, they should attend the local school council meetings. They should run for the local school council. That gives parents uh, a lot of insight into how the operations at their school uh, run. Of course, if they notice, if they observe, if they suspect fraud, waste, mismanagement, any kind of misconduct, and of course, sexual misconduct on behalf of adults uh, at the schools, they should report that to uh, to the Office of Inspector General. They should report uh, to the Office of Student Protections. I wouldn't assume that if I'm a CPS parent that there's nothing that they can do, that CPS is this behemoth of an organization, and what are they, you know, how are they, how, how is, is their voice ever going to be heard? Sure. You, know, you could you could easily see how, how parents would feel that way. But the fact of the matter is, is that we do listen very closely to individuals who have complaints, and we hear them out, and we look at it, and we examine their complaints, and we make a lot of cases based on parent complaints. So they have a voice. Parents have a voice, and CPS is a better school district when, when parents are involved. And for people who want to view the report or communicate with your office, what's the best way they can do that? Go to cpsoig.org. That's uh, Chicago Public Schools Office of Inspector General.org. Our annual report is right on the front page. They can contact us uh, by phone. They can contact us um, through email. We're open every day. We'd love to hear from, from anyone who has information that could be useful. CPS IG Will Fletcher, thank you so much for joining me today. And I'm sure listeners appreciate your expertise on this matter. The report is there for everybody to see, but thank you for stopping by today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This episode of Looped in Chicago was hosted, produced, and edited by me, Jim Hankey, with additional recording by Chris Lopez. WBBM's news director is Craig Schwalb, and Myron Kaplan is our managing producer of national news podcasts. You can follow us on TikTok at WBBM News Radio 105.9, as well as Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at WBBM News Radio. Thanks for listening, and we'll keep you looped in again right here next week. Talk to you soon. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.